evidence and answers. Few Christians realize that there are three different views regarding the age of the earth. Young earth creationism, theistic evolution, and old earth creationism. But what are the differences? What are some guidelines that should guide our evaluation of each position? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucrin. Pat is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. The age of the earth has unfortunately been a divisive issue between Christians. Often attacks are based on misinformation and incorrect assumptions. Pat addressed this issue at this year's Hawaii Apologetic Conference. He explained each view and presented guidelines in evaluating each position. Let's join Pat now as he presents part two of this message entitled, Three Christian Views on the Age of the Earth. Another popular option is to view Genesis 2 through 4 as an allegory in which Adam and Eve symbolize the large group of ancestors who lived about 150,000 years ago. Now, in relationship to Darwin's theory of evolution, theistic evolutionists generally accept evolution, Darwinian evolutionary theory or modified forms of it, as valid explanations for the origin and diversity of life. Once again, remember, there are several different types of theistic evolutionists. So, Once again, I'm painting with a very broad brush here. Proponents believe that God created the universe and set the natural laws in place that would allow for the evolution of life through the natural process. Thus, theistic evolution accepts the possibility then of macroevolution, which is changes that occur through the natural process creating new body parts or organs, and creating a new species, and macroevolution, change within a species. That's a brief overview of theistic evolution. I would say that most of the students that go to a public university, if they have a professor who's a theist, the majority of them would be theistic evolutionists. Now, there are some strengths to this position. Evolution is widely accepted in the scientific world, so there will be few conflicts with the scientific community. It has few problems with the scientific evidence of an old earth and old universe. Theistic evolution acknowledges God's role in all the universe through creating the natural laws and putting them in place. And finally, we indeed must be cautious not to read the text too much through modern scientific lenses, but also account for the fact that it was indeed written in the culture addressing their belief and worldview as well. Now, there are some weaknesses to this view. First, it reduces the Genesis creation account to myth or allegory. And the Genesis account does not appear to be allegorical, poetic, or mythical type of literature. It appears to be historical. And Jesus and the apostles in their teachings take these accounts literally and historically. They build their case on marriage built on Adam and Eve. Another good example is Romans chapter 5. And Paul is talking about redemption. 
how sin entered through one man, Adam, and we are redeemed through one man, the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Second, the Darwinian evolutionary system seems to go against God's nature. God taught, blessed are the meek. He taught about sacrificial love, sacrificing for the weak and the helpless of society. In contrast, the Darwinian system seems to be more of a cruel system which promotes survival of the fittest and elimination of the weaker. It looks more like a fallen system rather than a system that God would ordain to reflect his nature. And third, it is often scientifically indistinguishable from naturalism and deism. There are some conferences that I have been to where you have the intelligent design and creation camp, and in there are the theistic evolutionists. And then you have the philosophical naturalist, or the atheist, and you'll also find the theistic evolutionists on that side debating against the creationist. So sometimes it's, it's hard to tell. Now, the third view is old earth creationism, or progressive creationism. Now, uh, I'm going to have to apologize. I'm going to spend a little more extra time on this one because it's one of the most misunderstood views. So I apologize. I'm going to spend a little bit of time trying to clarify this one as much as I can in the time that I'm allotted. Now, old earth or progressive creationism teaches that God supernaturally created the universe and life upon the earth, but over a long period of time. Old Earth creationism takes a literal view of Genesis 1 through 3. Old Earth creationism teaches God miraculously created the universe out of nothing, ex nihilo, created life from non-life and progressively intervened in history to supernaturally create new species of life. After God created the heavens and the earth, he then created life over six Successive days, which in the original Hebrew may be literally interpreted as six distinct periods of time. God miraculously created Adam and Eve. They're literal historical figures, humanity's historical parents, who were new and distinct creatures from which humanity's sin originated. Earth's geological features formed over long ages through both gradual and catastrophic processes, including the flood. And one thing important to note here, that the age of the earth has no bearing on the creation of life. And ancient earth does not equate with Darwinian evolution. Darwinian evolution, change through unguided naturalistic process, is considered unbiblical biologically untenable, and not supported by the fossil record, as you heard Fuzrana present here. Now, there are several schools of old earth creationism. You have those that hold to the gap theory, those that hold to the day-age theory, those that hold to the intermittent day-age theory, and the framework hypothesis. So there's several different schools in old earth creationism though i don't have time to go into you know how these four differ so i'm generally gonna try and give you a biblical basis that indeed the genesis account does allow for a longer period of time 
Genesis 1 begins, within the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word that's used there is the word bara. It means out of nothing. This is where the universe began. God creates the universe out of nothing. Now, in verse 2, you have a very interesting phrase there. It says that the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Hebrew is a rhyme there, tohu vabohu. There are some places in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 4 and 19 and some others, where when this phrase is used, it's connected with judgment. So some Old Testament scholars believe that perhaps there's a gap in here, that perhaps this is where Satan and the angels fell and we come to an earth that's been judged by God. But those are those who hold to the gap theory. But how long the earth was in this state without life, we don't know. However, the point is, day one begins in verse 3. When verse 3 begins, the earth and the universe are already there. They're just without life, but they're already there. Okay, so day one doesn't begin the universe. The universe is already there. Day one begins life on the earth. Now, how long the earth was in that position? Well, the text doesn't really say. But from verse 3 on, a different verb is used. It's the Hebrew word asa. And it's translated into English, let there be. Or some, it may be, let them come forward. So it doesn't mean a creation out of nothing. It means to come forth or made from the elements that are already there. Now, the word day in Hebrew, the Hebrew word yam, are used in different ways. It can refer to a 24-hour time period, the daylight hours, or a segment of time. Premier Old Testament scholar Gleason Archer points out that there's no definite article, okay, or the, that appears with yom, or day, on the days of Genesis 1 through 5, on the days of the first five days of Genesis in chapter 1. Gleason Archer thus says, the absence of the definite article, the, implies a more vague meaning than 24 hours, an indefinite but literal sense of time or age. There are other examples as well. In chapter 1, Moses goes through and tells us that God created all things in six days. And then in Genesis 2-4, he opens with this phrase, in the day that God created the heavens and the earth. Well, wait a minute. Chapter 1, he just said it. God did it in six days. In chapter 2, verse 4, it's singular. In the day that God created the heavens and the earth. Do we have a contradiction here? Now he's using day to mean a period of time. Also, day is also used as a period of time in other places throughout the Old and New Testament. For example, Psalm 90, verse 4, which Moses, the author of Genesis, wrote. He says, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. Hosea chapter 6, verse 2 says, he will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day. This refers to Israel's ultimate restoration, which occurred hundreds or a couple thousand years still in the future. And finally, the sixth day appears to, the events there 
could appear to take longer than one day. In chapter 2, it reveals that God created the animals. Then God created man. Then he created the Garden of Eden. And then he created Adam and then placed Adam in the garden. And then Adam tended the garden. And then Adam studied all the animals well enough to name them. Then Adam felt lonely. Then Adam fell asleep. And God created a woman and brought the two together. All this activity, to say it happened in a 12-hour period, it's possible. But it could also imply that a longer period of time has occurred. And Adam, when he sees Eve, his expression is the Hebrew word hapa'am, translated, for those of you with the English Standard Version, at last or at long last, suggesting a period of time has passed. Would Adam, the perfect man with an unbroken unblemished, perfect relationship with God, feel lonely so quickly in just half a day or less that when he sees Eve, after tending the garden, naming the animals, working the garden, seeing Eve go, wow, at last, would he get lonely that fast? That's a challenge. That's a challenge for those who hold to the young earth. And finally, we have the seventh day of Genesis, It does not follow with the phrase, there was evening and there was morning. It doesn't have that phrase in there, which may suggest this is a unique day, perhaps a non-ending day. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, it appears that we are still in that seventh day. The ongoing nature of the seventh day is applied there in that chapter which describes God's Sabbath rest. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, we can enter it. So verse 4 ties God's rest to the seventh day of creation, and God rested on the seventh day. While verse 6 states, since therefore it remains for some to enter into it. If God's seventh day were limited to 24 hours, it would not be possible for believers to enter into his rest now. So it appears, you could build a case, that we are still in the seventh day. And finally, in several passages of the Bible, God's eternal nature is compared to the age of the earth, which can imply long periods of time. Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Psalm 93, verse 2 through 3. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. Next, when it comes to Darwin's theory of evolutionists, old earth creationists believe that Darwinian evolution is unbiblical, biologically untenable, and not supported by the fossil record. Old Earth creationists adamantly reject the Darwinian concept of common descent, as you heard Fuzrana present here. The hypothesis that all plant, animal, and human life ultimately evolved from a primitive single-celled organism through unguided mutations and naturalistic processes. Now, there's several strengths to this view. First, it takes the Genesis account literally. There are good 
biblical arguments that would allow for an extended period of time and an old creation. Second, there's little problem with the scientific data of an old universe and old Earth. It recognizes things such as the Big Bang as the beginning of the universe. Now, there are some criticisms or weaknesses of this view as well. First, it implies that pain, suffering, and death occurred before the fall. If the universe and life on earth is billions of years old, death somehow was a part of the creation. And how we fit that in there and explain that, uh, there are explanations, but it poses a challenge. Second, there's some difficulty in explaining the sequence of events in Genesis 1 through two, with a large extent of time. For example, plants are created before the sun and moon rotation and pollinating insects. So how that happens poses a challenge. How would plants thrive for an extended period without the sun and moon rotation and pollinating insects? Light and darkness are there, so you have light and darkness, but it does pose a challenge still. And finally, there are indeed gaps in the genealogical record. If you match them up, there are gaps in there. However, it's a little tough to show the gaps going back to 100,000 years, although it's plausible. It does pose a challenge. Well, that's a brief overview of the three views of the age of the earth. I hope I was fair and unbiased. I hope you don't know which one I am, or if you are, or if you think you know, I hope you're wrong. I hope I was fair and sharing what those three views are. Now, Here's some guidelines that have been helpful as I wrestle with this issue and as you engage in this study as well. First, there are several ways to interpret the Genesis account. But I believe the Genesis account should be interpreted literally. Jesus and the apostles refer to Genesis 1 through 11 as historical events. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus treats Adam and Eve as literal. In Romans 5, Paul builds his case on a literal Adam and Eve and treats the Genesis 3 account as historical. So whichever view you take, I think you're going to have problems if you don't interpret Genesis 1 through 3 literally. Second, it's good to understand the relationship between special revelation, the Bible, and general revelation, things that we discover through our experience and through science. Uh, God communicates through his word, which is without error. But God also speaks through general revelation or creation. Romans chapter 1, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. General revelation expounds the scriptures and can give us greatest understanding of God's word. You know, the heavens declare the glory of God. When you read books on astronomy and see how incredibly designed and huge this universe is, indeed, General revelation, the studies of astronomy and the sciences in that arena expound and further explain things like Psalm 19 and help us understand God's word in greater ways. General revelation clarifies scriptures. But general revelation can also correct our interpretation of the scripture. You see, understand me clearly, okay? The Bible is not wrong, but our interpretation of it can be. Okay? So when the Bible and general revelation conflict, we must re-examine both the 
data presented and our interpretation of the Bible. If the Bible is clear, it says God exists. And if science is saying, well, it's clear, the evidence shows God does not exist. Well, we reject that. Where the Bible is clear, we go with God's word. There are many times where science was wrong and the scriptures were indeed correct. There's numerous examples of that. We're finite, trying to study God's great creation. We don't always get it right. But for example, for centuries, scientists believed the universe was eternal, therefore allowing the endless possibility for these combinations and mutations to occur. The Bible states that the universe has a beginning. Well, the evidence in recent times now show the universe is not eternal, but it does have a beginning. Now, we go with the Bible unless general revelation is very convincing. Then we do not question the Bible, but our interpretation of it. You get it? You get what I'm saying? There are times that our interpretation of the scriptures was not correct, and general revelation helped to correct that. For example, the black eye that the church has had for many centuries is Galileo. In 1632, he challenged a long-held view that the sun and planets revolved around the earth. Through his study, he came to conclude with a man about 50 years before him, Copernicus, that the earth and the planets revolved around the sun. Well, the church condemned Galileo for his theory and forced him to recant. Because it was believed the scriptures clearly stated the earth does not move. Psalm 93 verse 1 states, The world is established, it shall never be moved. Psalm 104.5 states, He set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. Therefore, the church condemned Galileo. However, a few decades later, it was discovered that Galileo was indeed correct. And this incident has gone down in history, unfortunately, as an iconic example of how religion is antagonistic and thwarts the progress of science. It was not the Bible that was wrong, but the church's interpretation of it. Therefore, we must not make the mistake of dismissing the facts from general revelation too quickly. Third, your view must carefully consider the biblical data and the scientific data. We should not be too quick to dismiss the Bible because science says this, nor dismiss the scientific data, but address the issues presented, even if they don't agree with our view. And fourth, be honest to admit the shortcomings or difficulties of our particular position. And finally, walk with humility. There are strengths and weaknesses in the different views. So, let's be gracious to one another. We don't need the harsh rhetoric and harsh words and animosity that's been thrown around in Christian circles. You know, I was surprised at the hostile emails and response that I got because I invited two of our guests here from two different views. As they are demonstrating... We can have different views on the age of the earth and be united as brothers and sisters in Christ and work together in the defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
This issue has been debated for centuries, and it will probably be debated probably until Jesus returns. So may this issue not divide believers in the Lord. There are strengths, but also weaknesses with each view that I hope you've come to understand. There's a saying here that uh, we were taught in grad school, which is one I try to go by as much as I can, on essentials, unity, on non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. Let us walk with humility and be gracious to one another, remembering we serve the same Lord, we defend the same word of God, and we cannot make our Christian brothers enemies. It is really the philosophy of atheism that we stand against together and we seek to dethrone from its power and together we must work hand in hand to bring the defense of the gospel and compelling arguments for the existence of God into the public arena. Hope this gave you a better understanding of the three views. God bless you. Thank you very much. This concludes Pat's seminar on the three Christian views on the age of the earth, given at this year's Hawaii Apologetics Conference. Our theme this year was Christianity and Science, Enemies or Allies, and featured speakers included Dr. Fazal Rana and Dr. Paul Nelson. If you would like to hear all of the seminars from this year's conference, log on at evidenceandanswers.org, and you can listen and purchase all the sessions from Pat and his guests. Pat is the director of the Pacific Apologetics Center, a subsidiary ministry of the Bible Institute of Hawaii. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. This radio broadcast is brought to you by one of our key sponsors, Highland Capital Management providing investors with alternative investment solutions for more than 20 years. To learn more, please visit their website at www.hcmlp.com. Join us again next week as Pat and his friends continue to provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers.